Hello and welcome to episode 231 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox with me in Vienna, Virginia, Ben Olson. What's the latest, Ben? It's warm. And uh, so I went running today, which was great, and uh, hitting some faster times. That's exciting. Times for the mile or? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You do one miles? Is that what you do? I do two miles, actually. Yeah. Two mile run? Yep. What's your fastest, best career two miles? Like ever in my life in the past well in your 40 recent, some years let's say in, in your recent life in recent life it's three uh, six thirty, but that's um flat uh pavement you know no ups and downs and um yeah nice day not too hot but summer so 13 minutes for your two miles yeah i think when i did that i only did a mile i just oh like, i ran out yeah and just said okay what can i do so but six yeah six thirty was exciting right now i'm like closer to like seven thirty. so i got i'm trying to get back to that but i'm also running two miles so i don't know yeah i'm not sure where i'm at exactly well good luck thanks man happy it's not uh winter time anymore yeah any yeah. cherry blossoms yet uh no that doesn't happen until like april but or at least I don't think it does. I guess with global warming, though, it might. I mean, I, that's what I was thinking this morning. I was running. I was like, oh, this is nice. But I'm like, wait a second. It's, it's February. It's early February. I, <laughs> it's, it's nice now, but we're slowly becoming a California climate, I guess. Perpetually warm. Today on the show, we have uh, a pearls versus turds that a listener suggested. Uh, it's about reading comp. Okay. Mm-hmm. We have a marketing email from the University of New Mexico law that mentions their singing dean. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. We have a personal <laughs> statement, feedback, slash award from one of our personal statement clients. Okay. Hmm. Uh, it's pretty amusing. It's, an, it's a marketing gimmick from Cleveland State that we can laugh about. We have a question about writing a diversity statement. If you have a STEM background, basically, should I write a diversity statement to highlight my STEM background? Which I thought was a novel question. I never thought about that in terms of a diversity statement before. So we can kick that around a little bit. We have a question about a Flex JD program at Turo Law in New York. And we have a personal statement from Daisy. That all sound good? Sounds great. Cool. Uh, This show will air on Monday, February 10th. Upcoming events. uh, If you're listening to this on release day, it means you have one day to register for the March LSAT. The March LSAT, by the way, is on the 30th, Monday, March 30th. And you have to Sign up for that by Tuesday, February 11th. I still just think that's an outrageously long time that you have to sign up in advance of the <laughs> test. Yeah. That's, that's wild. I really wish they would fix that. It comes um, up in class all the time, too, where people are like, well, I'm not sure. Should I take April? Should I take June? And it's like, yeah, well, you kind of have to just decide <laughs> now and then. Yeah, I mean, what do you think, rough rule of thumb? If you're within 10 points of your target, you know, maybe sign up. 
Because if you're like 20 points away, I don't think you're really probably, you know, you're not an odds on favorite to make that leap. Yeah. I don't tell people. I, I find far too often people sign up for a test and then they're just not ready for it. Yeah. And they have to reschedule or they have to just, you know, like withdraw and lose the 200 bucks. And so I'd rather people get comfortable with their practice test scores before they sign up for an official test. I know that sometimes signing up can give you the motivation to actually study. (sighs) But I'd prefer that you're self-motivated enough that you can just decide that this is important to you and start doing practice tests. Yeah. Start doing well. Focus on the the daily routine and making progress. Yeah. Right. Cool. Um, so the February LSAT is coming up. That's on uh, Saturday, the 22nd. And yeah, that's the upcoming dates. Um, you can email the show, help at thinkinglsat.com. If you'd like to plaster your face on our social media, just send us a selfie along with that uh, question or comment or whatever. We love listening or love hearing from the listeners uh please leave us a review on itunes uh the hit in the five stars is really nice but if you can actually write a few words about your experience with the show for whatever reason the itunes algorithm thinks that those written reviews are more valuable so if you can just say uh you know something about the show if you want to do us a favor you'll you'll help us reach more listeners that way okay ready to dive into this pearls versus turds yeah why don't you take it Sure. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Here's my probable turd. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll find out. Two simple steps for working through RC reading comp passages. Step one, sort the information in the passage into four categories. (laughs) I'm already like, what the hell? Definitely leaning turd so far. (laughs) It's like, what? (laughs) Sorted into four categories. I... I'm looking for like a holistic understanding of the passage. Yeah. Right. What do they want overall? So for, I don't, yeah, let's hear what those categories are. Okay. So the categories are the main idea, support for the main idea, premises and counter arguments. (laughs) Okay. It's officially a turd. Yeah. Some of these passages ask you for the main point and some of you, some of them, they ask you for the main idea because the passage was just informative. In other words, there's not really support for the idea. It was just, hey, this is happening. Done. Just FYI. So stepping back broadly, I tend to think of these passages as falling into one of two categories. Not that I even care that much or even ask people, but sometimes I see them as informative, like, hey, FYI, here's what's happening. And sometimes I see them as persuasive, like, oh, I'm trying to convince you of something. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, what this person would do with an informative passage that doesn't have support for the, quote, main idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean... Not only that, but uh, these four categories, mm-hmm. one of them is main idea. One of them is support for the main idea. And another one of them <laughs> is premises. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Oh, that's pretty funny. I don't even know why I didn't notice that. I guess I was just thinking already about the the different types of passages. But yeah, okay, so... I'd like to know what you put into the support for the main idea and what you put into the premises. (laughs) The definition of premises is support for the main idea. 
Yeah. It's evidence that was used to support the main idea. That's what a premise is. So these four categories, this is, it's kind of just like the problem with semantics, right? As soon as you start dividing things up into all these pieces and parts and categories and stuff, you're necessarily making shit up here. You're just like, you're dividing things into categories that you don't even understand. Yeah. You know, when I do feel like a passage is informative, I find that they tend to use the word main idea in the first question when they ask for it, as opposed to using the phrase main point, because they're not necessarily mm. trying to prove something, you know, it's just an idea. What was the idea that they were trying to get across you know, to you? Not that that matters. I'm just saying it's an interesting use of phrase here, because it doesn't seem like it's very, like it actually seems like they're talking about the main conclusion, but they use the phrase main idea. What do they want? You know, I, I, I think get rid of these four categories. <laughs> what do they want? Why did they write this passage? Yeah. As Ben is saying, sometimes the passage might be Ben saying, quote, informative. Mm-hmm. To me, that just means that they didn't have that strong of an opinion. But even on a passage where it seems like they didn't have that strong of an opinion, there almost always is one word or, you know, a couple sprinkled in there where they just, they'll just editorialize just a tiny bit. They'll just say, unfortunately, before some, you know, they're like telling you a story and then they say, unfortunately, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And that yep. one word by itself gives you an insight into what the author's thinking, like what they, what they really want, like why they came here to tell you, you know, why they, like there, if they said, unfortunately, they came here to whine about that thing. Yeah. So, boy, I can't imagine sorting all the information into these four categories. <laughs> Count, you know, like counter arguments. That's so weird too. counter arguments, because that assumes that there's always a main idea and counter arguments in the passage. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, what about a passage that's presenting two competing theories or three competing theories? Yeah. So then what's the main idea and what's the premise and what's the counter argument? Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. The, these, these categories, first of all, two of them mean the exact same thing. And second, I just think they're too rigid to be useful. What, what do you do when you encounter a very common passage that doesn't really have all this stuff? All right. Step two. Yeah, shoulder shrug. Okay, skip step two, play therapist. Mm. Figure out how the author feels about each component. I guess that's each category. Mm. For example, is the author providing a counter-argument to give you a neutral and balanced overview, or are they providing it so they can shred it to pieces later? In the case of dual passages, you've got couples therapy. Find the things that they agree on. Where does the relationship between the two fall apart? Etc. Okay, I don't, I don't really like this analogy for the, kind of the reasons we were talking about earlier. I also, I like clever analogies to get people thinking about the test, but I don't like couples therapy because one thing about the passages is that sometimes the authors have no awareness of the other author. I would right? say always. <laughs> it, it seems to me. Yeah, that they... it seems like it is almost always. If always, I can't remember a specific example where the second one was in direct response to the first. Never. So. Not that I know of. Not, not ever. It's never been 
that's not true because, you know, it's not like an agree or disagree question yeah. on the logical reasoning where yeah. they're actually speaking to each other. What's going on with the, with the comparative reading is that you've got two, they're like adjacent, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're tangentially related. They, they, they usually have, I mean, they always have some sort of an overlap, but that doesn't mean that they have to be aware of each other at all. No, it's it's basically like the person who wrote the passage went into Google and searched up a topic like endangered tigers in, you know, South Africa or something like that. And then a couple articles came up and they took excerpts from each of those <laughs> articles and put them together. And it's like one article has no cognition of the other. So this analogy falls apart because it's like, couples therapy for people who don't know that they're in a relationship. (laughs) It's like, Hey, you guys may not realize this, but you've been married and living in the same house for 30 years. I don't understand why I feel so lonely. (laughs) It's almost as if I've been, you just, you never listen to me. No one ever listens to me. (laughs) You got two people in like separate rooms of the house, just like rambling to the wall. (laughs) Who the fuck left the toilet up? <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So, turd. I like the idea. You know, I it's I, it's clever. Whatever. I like clever little things. But do you want to read the rest of this? There's there's more to it. Sure. LSAC is trying to see LSAC. <laughs> yeah. Okay. LSAC is trying to see if you understand why a phrase or sentence was put where it was. If the main idea is shit, you need to know how all the components tie back in to make it a pile of shit. When you can do that, the correct answers are obvious. Whoa, wait, hold up. I don't feel yeah. like I'm I'm analyzing the main point in reading comprehension like I am in logical reasoning. In no. logical reasoning, I'm like, okay, well, this is why it sucks. In reading comp, it's more like, I mean, look, it's in the longer argument, so there's going to be more... <laughs> shittiness about it right like yeah. it's just going to be more gaps and more jumps and more assumptions but i don't really care so much about that i'm just like kind of like okay what is it what are you trying to prove i have one counter argument to that which is just um there's there was one passage that i really thought was bullshit do you do you have any reading comp passages where you're just like oh my god what a what a pile of shit this is yeah i mm-hmm. have one okay the one about the perfume Oh, yeah, yeah. How it's like an art or something. How it's like perfume, perfumery should be considered on the same level as like fine paintings or whatever. Yeah. Or or symphonies. Yeah. (laughs) I was just like rolling my eyes on that one. But on 99, and I mean, I'm the biggest skeptic critic in the world, right? But on 99% of the reading comprehension passages, I'm, I come away from it going, okay, I see what you said there. I get it. I feel like I learned something. I understand your point. It's very rare that I'm like, you're full of shit. Sometimes on the comparative reading, maybe. Well, even so, like, does that matter? Like, it's more just like, okay, this is what you're trying to prove. And then that's what they ask you. Because most well, questions... Well, I think that's what, this, that's what this correspondent is saying, right? They're saying, if the main idea is shit, you need to know how all the components tie back in. Basically, they're saying you can observe the argument even if you don't 
agree with the conclusion of the argument. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with that, but I don't think you're actively trying to, like, say why it's bad, because there are almost no questions that ask you what the assumption is. They just ask you what... There are questions that say, what is the principle underlying the argument here? And it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of like an assumption question. Like, what does this person seem to be guided by? But like, I don't know. That's a super rare question. The vast majority of questions are just what must be true given what was said. So knowing what was said is all that matters. What did it say? What do they want? Yep. What are they trying to prove? And I don't, all this dividing it up into pieces and thinking about all the structure and how all the pieces and parts connect. I don't, it just doesn't seem necessary to me. seems overly complicated. Read it carefully and figure out what the fuck they're trying to say. If it helps you pay attention, then gosh, maybe. More power to you, I suppose. Yeah. I can't say that it's a pearl that I'm going to be giving out as advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to read the rest of this? Sure. Thanks for all the hard work you two put into helping law applicants succeed. I hope we do enough to also help law applicants choose another path, but <laughs> you're welcome. Don't pull any punches if this advice is crap. Hearing you guys insult people makes my day. Aww. Wait, am I? Is that a compliment? Or yeah, it's a complisult. Complisult. Thank you, Melanie. Um, yeah, I would just say, as you read the passage, ask yourself, what does this person want me to walk away with? What do they want me to know? Yeah, why I did need? they write this document? Yep. Why did this document land in our law office? What are we supposed to do with this? What are we supposed to do about it? Is action required? Are you advocating for action? Or are you just telling me that, uh, you know, Tony Morrison is awesome? Yep. But what is it? Is it, are you just like bragging about somebody or something? Or are you complaining about somebody or something? Or are you like advocating for a course of action? If you just get that one big picture, you know, just really, if you can predict the main point, yeah, I think you got it. I think that's all you need to know about reading comp almost. Um, do we, Ben, do you think that we insult people? Um, I think people do feel insulted on occasion. Um, I, you know, I've heard people say, oh, you're, you're going after their grammar or whatever, but I don't know. We're telling people what we think they did wrong. If they want to take offense, that's understandable. I do that too as a human being, but it's not necessarily the same as saying that someone is an idiot or something like that. It's yeah. more like what you have done here is not effective. I think that's what we're trying to do. Huh? We probably fail though. I'm trying to be a better person. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I really am like, I'm, I'm, I'm working on some shit, you know, and I'm trying, I don't want to be a dick. I don't want to be like a hater. Uh, that's definitely not my intention on the show or when I'm teaching my classes, I feel like I have an obligation to tell the truth. And sometimes the truth is like hard to hear. I don't want to use that as an excuse for being an asshole. That's not my goal at all. Yeah, I hear but, you. You know, I, <laughs> if we're trying to get close to the truth, I don't know. Sometimes that's going to be challenging for people yeah. to understand. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, 
I, I certainly never mean anything as a, as an insult. I just, I'm like trying to get to whatever the real underlying truth is. So, um, no, I do think that this tip is a turd, Melanie, but thank you for writing in. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to go around insulting people. That's not my intention. No. I feel like we've mellowed out over time. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely have over the years. Um, I've started swearing more. Maybe that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. I'm I just I I really am just trying to help and that that involves being the bearer of bad news sometimes. I was just talking to my class in San Francisco this weekend about how basically quitting is good. Quitting things is good. <laughs> find, mm, yeah. find things that work for you where like you feel like you can't not be successful. Keep going in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like when things are super difficult slash super painful slash you don't want to do them, like, it's totally fine to quit. Ben, you just talked about like talking people out of <laughs> helping laws, helping law applicants succeed. Yes, but frequently the best thing we can do is to help you succeed by not doing this. Yeah. Going in a completely different direction. Yeah. When we're insulting people's grammar, I mean, I don't think we're insulting their grammar. We are pointing out that their grammar is not good. Yeah. And the reason why we're doing that is because you're trying to be a lawyer, which is just like a professional writer. And so you need to confront the truth <laughs> of these, of your bad writing, basically, you know, like you just need to fix it. Maybe the, maybe the lines get blurred when we start laughing, but sometimes it's hard not to laugh. Um, we'll have to work on that. Yeah. Well, we're trying. I just hope everybody realizes that we're, <laughs> we're trying to help. <laughs> Ready for yeah. University of New Mexico laws singing Dean? Yes. All right, this correspondent uh, says, don't say it was from me because I'm still negotiating for more money. I got a full ride, but I want a stipend too because why not? So call me Kim, like from Better Call Saul. I think she went to UNM Law. You ever see Better Call Saul? Nope. It's a fucking fantastic show. It's one of the best shows I think that's on TV right now it's a spinoff of breaking bad did you ever watch breaking bad i tried okay um breaking bad also terrific drama slash comedy but better call saul is more about lawyer shit um hmm. and it's uh it's just a very beautiful show um kim is played by this uh ria seahorn i think her name is and she's like fantastic i think they're about to do the fourth season of better call saul anyway if you're looking for a uh, netflix binge maybe try better call saul from the beginning i do okay. think she went to unm law because this show was set in new mexico hmm. the email says so this is kim pseudonym kim the university of new mexico law has an admitted students dinner and there's a link here to their agenda, which I have up. It's pretty okay. funny, Ben, if you want to take a peek at it. Yeah. It says in the email, the dean's going to be serenading the students. Wow. But in all honesty, their tuition is the cheapest I've seen for residents. 
parentheses, I only applied to West Coast schools. And tuition went down from 2018 to 2019. It was $8,699 a semester in 2018. And it went down, Ben, to $8,532 a semester in 2019. That's very interesting. Okay. Hmm. I mean, it went down $167 a semester, which is... Um, not much, but this is it's still like two percent. Huh? So this is like nine thousand a semester, so eighteen grand a a year. That's that's low, right? This yeah, in state school, I guess it's an in state school, but yeah. So I pulled up their five hundred nine. Uh, of course, the five hundred nines are like. Oh, that must be for resident because mm. it's got the five hundred nine has listed. 8,500 a semester resident and 18,800 mm-hmm. a semester for non-resident. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is a New Mexico resident who's writing in. Um, looking at the grants and scholarships, they give uh, 14% of the class half to full tuition, 1% of the class full tuition, and 5% of the class more than full tuition. So if Kim's already got the full ride and she's negotiating to want to be one of those, you know, one out of 20 in the school are getting more than a full ride. So Kim's like, Hey, I want to be one of those five or one of those one out of 20, one of those 5%, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. Wait, wait, you're seeing more than 5% is more than full. I'm not seeing that. Um, Are you looking at 2018, 2019? I'm looking at... 2019. Oh, I just did the Google search. So you must be on the... Oh, I see you. Scrolled down. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Oh, yeah. 5%. Wow. So in 2018, it was zero. But in 2019, 17 applicants got more than full. Yeah. Four got full. In 2018, and, zero got full. You know, those these are numbers for the entire class, too. Or like for the entire school. Hmm. So that actually means, doesn't it, Ben, that that those scholarships, those more than full tuitions were all in the 2018-2019 class, like the that's brand correct. new class. Yeah. Because they so weren't showing up on percentage. the 2018-509. Yeah, so if it's 5% of the entire school, but it was 0% last year, then that means, it seems to me, that it's 15% of the new class. Hmm. Hmm. Unless they're giving... That's assuming that they keep their class sizes the same. It's also sure. assuming that they don't give any 2L or 3L like big scholarships. I'm, I'm struggling to see why they would do that, though. They, they do they that were, sometimes to keep people from transferring out. Yeah. yeah. So they did have one JD transfer out last year. And, they had three come in. Hmm. Right. So it's possible that they're offering incentives for people to not... Well, but that's only one person, though, so... Well, who knows? They could have given 10 scholarships to keep people, right? You can renegotiate your deal after your first year if you really kick ass in your first year. That's not something that anyone should plan on because it's hard to kick ass your first year. Mm -hmm. But it is possible that you could uh, get a a deal in your second and third year if you really crush it in your first year. Yeah. Yeah. This is when all the listeners are like, yeah, of course, that's going to be me. 
I didn't get it done in undergrad grades and I didn't get it done on the LSAT, but I'm going to kill it in my first year of law school. Good luck. Yeah. I mean, it's possible, but like only the top 10% of the class is going to be able to get that deal. And everybody in the incoming class thinks they're going to be part of the top 10%. So, uh, anyway, did you, did you check out this awesome PDF that they no. sent out university of New Mexico? No, the, you mean the, the menu? It says El Menu. Menu. El Menu on the top. I don't know how to say that in Spanish. I keep saying it like in French kind of. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, it starts at 1230 with a toast. Our dean and vice dean will greet you personally, toasting your achievement with a refreshing treat. Sip it along your early bird tour designed to highlight our unique flavors. Your tour concludes with a flight of New Mexican specialties. Enjoy them as you ask student ambassadors what's really on the menu at UNM Law. So wait, so are they going to give you a? They're going to give you some some drinks. It sounds like they're boozing it up on this tour, which <laughs> and then, <you> know, <laughs> hey, they're trying to sell you on a you know extraordinarily expensive purchase, the most expensive, even at even at one of the cheaper law schools. At least if you're a resident, it's a cheap law school and they are still trying to you know butter you up well this could liquor you up (laughs) this could be viewed negatively if you are when i took my um uh, what was it my like ethics classes that were required to take the bar or something i remember they said that lawyers is the white collar profession that suffers most from substance abuse yes yes so here they're just not that i care that much but (laughs) (laughs) i'm very conscious of it right now because i (laughs) i just did a mostly sober january um i i had a pre-scheduled uh trip golf trip with some of my buddies where i was like okay fuck it i'm gonna drink during those three days when i'm you know on the golf course all the time because why not but i uh I, i mostly didn't drink for all of january and i'm every time I do that, I get like very conscious of how pervasive, you know, alcohol is in our culture and just mm. how basically bad it is for you. Uh, and, uh, I'm reading a really good book actually about sobriety. My friend, uh, Laura McCowan, who I went to business school with in Boston, mm. she wrote a mm-hmm. book about sobriety. It's called, we are the luckiest. Um, and so I've been reading that also this month while I have been mostly sober. Hmm. Anyway, I, um, yeah, I can see how especially sober people or people who just don't drink a lot (laughs) would be very turned off by this, you know, like booze fest (laughs) (laughs) invitation. (laughs) But, uh, but then it made me laugh because I was on Sunday, I was teaching in San Francisco. Yes. I had a class scheduled on Super Bowl Sunday because I don't give a shit, but I'm teaching my class in San Francisco while the San Francisco 49ers are playing in the Super Bowl. Mm. And in the hotel where I teach in union square, they, the bar was open downstairs and they were watching the game. Yeah. And so like at three 30, you know, it was the last hour and a half of class. And I decided to take the class downstairs and buy them a drink. Uh, just like as a, yeah, I do that sometimes as like a thank you, you know, for supporting my little business or whatever. And uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was very worried about it. Cause I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to like insult people by, you know, foisting booze upon them or like be, I I was wondering if it was like distasteful Mm. or whatever. 
to to do this in as as part of an LSAT class. I can see some people being like, "Oh my god, booze!" and you know, like, "Oh my no, never," you know. Yeah, <laughs> but of the like twenty people that were there. I was like, Hey, don't worry. There's like sodas and water and you know, you can have whatever that you don't, don't feel obligated to drink alcohol or whatever. Yeah. But 20 out of 20 people lined up and, and got an alcoholic beverage. Like every single one of them in the class huh. was drinking. So I was, interesting. Yeah. I know I was like, I, I assumed there would at least be a few people that were on the wagon or just don't drink period. And nope. Every single one of those future lawyers just lined right up. Hmm for some booze maybe it's because it was the super bowl they were maybe partying. so yeah. yeah that's interesting yeah i'd expect some i don't know no it was it was <laughs> it was a hundred percent they were very pleased to get a free cocktail so um i don't know do you want to read any more of this nope but if they're you going wanna... around <laughs> they're doing a they're doing a mock class they're hearing Hear from current students as they discuss the heat and spice of law school life. Yeah, someone had fun making this menu. I mean, it's got like, <laughs> what are these peppers, these jalapeno peppers? Chili peppers, chili green peppers. and red chili peppers. It's got this whole theme of, yeah, segundo plato, second course. It's got this whole, like the Spanish and English bit. And then it's got the crazy fonts that make it almost unreadable. Yeah. Plus the it full definitely justification. definitely looks like a menu. Yeah. Yeah. At a Mexican restaurant, I'd be like, huh? I'm always like trying to figure out what am I ordering here? <laughs> the last, uh, the last point is cerveza y mas. Enjoy New Mexico's best beer and wine at New Mexico's only law school. <laughs> Who else has their Dean on guitar and vocals at a fiesta like this? Join in and continue your conversations and questions with our proud alumni comma student and faculty leaders hmm that's oh, there's a lot of there's a lot of drinks here because i mean they're having an how do you say this a- aperitif aperitif, aperitif? Yeah, that's, that's the after a- but they're not actually it's no, it's, it's, it's so drink, dumb it's, because it's a they're drink not you actually for your meal yeah <laughs> well they say isn't an aperitif something you take before you eat? I don't think so. Notice that they've got the aperitivo at the top and then the aperitif at the... I don't fucking know. Point is, they're <laughs> they're going to booze you up with a toast at 12.30. Man, that's a long time in between, by the way. 12.30, a toast, and then not till 5 o'clock till you get to the cervezas? That's four and a half hours. That's a long time if you're separating booze like that. People are going to be falling asleep during the um, <laughs> second and third course on this menu. But uh, I don't know. What do you think about the dean on guitar and vocals? That's a good reason to choose a law school, right? Sounds desperate. It's just silly. I mean, whatever. Yeah. Being silly Right? Like, seriously, good, guess, they're probably but... thinking like, hey, we got to do something. They're like, yeah, why don't you sing? They're like, oh, that's a great idea. I mean, clearly they're searching for something. Yeah. Okay. That's it for University of New Mexico. Thanks. Uh, and thanks, Kim, for writing in. Next one. Uh, <laughs> check this out. I don't think we want to say the name, but this is one of our personal statement clients. And look what they sent her. Okay. My, do you want me to read this? Uh, maybe read her email. Sure. Hey. 
I applied to Cleveland State very early on as a safety school, and they framed part of my personal statement. Whoa. <laughs> We're going to quote you and send it to you. Maybe it's this framed. Is, oh, my. A frame is so freaking ugly. Maybe this co- is common from law schools, and they do it for all their students, but I was impressed. Okay, so it worked for her. Sharing to say thanks for your help on it. At least I got one school's attention. Oh, man. Well, okay, so should we, does she want us to read? She took a picture of the framed. I think let's not read the actual quote, but they, they took like, they took three sentences from her personal statement. They put it in all caps and space with a weird, the font is terrible. It's like all the caps. The font is terrible. The letters are all spread out from each other. So it's like they made it as hard to read as possible. And then they yeah. have, so they have the three sentences and then her name. And then at the bottom and then with some ugly, what is that in the background? It's a gavel. It's a gavel. Everybody thinks if you can throw a gavel in there, somehow it's now like law. <laughs> a glass. It looks like an etched glass globe. A globe with um, Europe as the center. I don't know what else the other shit is in the back. There's some other things, items. It looks like a scale, honestly, in the back uh, there. That would make sense. The scales of justice. Oh, my God. And then at the bottom, it has an advertise. It's like a, an advertisement. Learn law, live justice. <laughs> Cleveland State University, CM Law, Cleveland Marshall College of Law. This just proves they have money to burn. I mean, really, they 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 framed this and sent it to her. Yeah, this is where your tuition dollars are going to go. If you pay, if you pay to go to the school, you're paying for next year. You know, every single person that they want to admit. They're going to take a quote from their personal statement and they're going to fucking put it on a stupid piece of paper like this and put a frame around it and then pay to ship it to you. Yeah. And so this worked apparently on our correspondent, you know, at least she was interested enough to go. She thinks she wants to go check out their school now. Mm. So Mm -hmm. it worked. I guess you can't argue with whatever success, but (laughs) I don't know. I just, seems it's like an just a very annoying marketing gimmick and complete waste of money yeah like, can you imagine framing that or i mean could, not framing could you imagine putting that up on your wall <laughs> like if you were her oh is he if they were like yeah it's weird it's um, a quote from herself it's a quote from yourself she's gonna hang it on her wall <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's weird but i mean just the whole this like how it looks like just it looks horrible with i hate gavels i mean i just have a, a huge aversion <laughs> to gavels you know it's like when you go into like getty images or something and it's like oh law and it's uh-huh. like they show a picture of a gavel and somehow that they just they look ugly they're like their weight is disproportional so i have a very negative association with that and like, like you said the font is weird as fuck so 90 percent of lawyers the only time they're ever going to be anywhere adjacent to a gavel is like at their swearing in ceremony maybe yeah or their right. own like traffic violation that they decide to go to court for <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, yeah i i just want to know who actually puts this on their wall like ugh. It's just an ugly, you know, it's a, it's like a, what is it? It's almost like a confidence game. 
It's like a, you know, they're just like so clearly trying to manipulate you by, oh, we're going to give you this compliment of like, your words were so powerful to us that we decided to frame them. Wow. You know, now you should come pay us whatever $20,000 a semester because clearly (laughs) you're a beautiful (laughs) lawyer writer. I don't know. Dude, dude, here we go. This is this is our new idea. So someone, people write into the show. We take excerpts from their email. We frame it and send it back to them. Yeah. Along with like, here's our (laughs) sign up for a $10,000 tutoring package. (laughs) No, no, just, yeah, yeah. That's, there you go. Or, or some sort of, yeah. A podcast sponsored, uh, service. Yeah. For the opportunity to visit us in New York city. (laughs) I mean, I think the takeaway is just that it's a buyer's market. I don't care if applications are up it's it's if you have the right perspective on this thing it's always a buyer's market because there's so many schools competing to give you scholarships mm-hmm. and if you just decide that you're gonna you know choose to take a scholarship these these schools are gonna be falling all over themselves to they're they're desperate yeah they're desperate for talent so if you've got some talent um yeah you should be able to arrange a real good deal for yourself Yep. Uh, <laughs> how many of these? This it's just ugh. okay. Now I have to look up the Cleveland State five hundred nine because what I really want to know is how many offers did you make versus how many actually matriculated? Because I have to do the math on how many of these garbage framed personal statement quotes you're probably sending out. Here it is. Um, completed applications last year. Wow, this is a tiny little school. 698 applications, and they offered admission to 335. So they, 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 had, they offered 48% of their applicants admission. And then from that, they get a 43% enrollment rate, which that's pretty high. I, I think it's because this school is just like kind of unknown and in Cleveland and you know, you probably have ties to Cleveland if you're applying to this law school. Yeah. It would be my guess or at least like Ohio, but, um, yeah. So they, Hey, maybe it's working, Ben 40, 43% <laughs> enrollment rate from offers of admission. I assume that they're sending one of these framed personal statement things to every single person that they admit. And it's already, and it's bumping up there. Wow. Okay. Uh, moving on. Yeah, let's do it. Hey, Nathan. On episode 220, I think it was, you guys discussed a diversity statement about a gentleman that had a STEM degree. I was wondering what your general recommendation is for people with STEM degrees, semicolon, include a diversity statement or don't. I figured this would be obvious from the transcripts, but not sure how closely they look at your undergrad except for the grades. P.S. I'm a nurse and I will be in my eighth year of professional full-time work by application time. So my quote diversity should be apparent by my resume too. I don't want to bombard them with quote, look at me statements. Uh, 
Thanks a bunch. What advice do you have here for Anonymous? Well, I would say that if you have something to add to your personal statement that's interesting and new, then it's a good angle because I don't think that many people are applying with STEM degrees. I would just wonder what your personal statement's written about because if I would hope that you're writing your personal statement about your nursing career. Yeah. And so you've been doing it for eight years. It's done, right? I mean, so then, yeah, in that case, you're, you're already telling them that you're a medical professional. I, I don't know that the diversity statement is required to point them to the fact that you have a STEM degree. They already know that. Yeah. And it might just come across as weird that you're, pointing out the obvious my only thought would be is if you have something to say about that like maybe you talk about your career and work you've done in your personal statement and then in your diversity statement you explicitly talk about the perspective that you've gained uh but that's starting to get kind of i don't know touchy-feely so i think if you keep it short it's not going to be insulting. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, as far as divert, it, I could see a grade addendum. Like if you're pointing specifically to the fact that you did a, a, a BS degree, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you're going to point out, Hey, this 3.3 in my STEM undergrad degree was actually honors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that that you could justify a grade addendum for that. I just, it's, it seems weird to be pointing to STEM in a diversity statement. I don't, that doesn't quite make sense to me. You're supposed to be talking about diverse perspectives. I suppose, yeah, I don't know. I guess STEM gives you a diverse perspective. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, we're agreeing that if it's not something new, you just don't want to be rehashing shit that's already in your personal statement. Yeah. And I do. I hope that you're writing about your professional experiences in your personal statement. Cause eight years of nursing, man, you've got to have awesome stuff to talk about. Yeah. Also, why, why are, are you going leaving? to law school? <laughs> yeah. Jinx. No, you got, and I think that might need to be tangentially addressed in your personal statement, like on some level, cause there's going to be some head scratching for, for legit schools. I mean, the number of law school grads who, wish they would have done nursing instead in retrospect. (laughs) It's just so much more of a solid career for so many people. Yeah. Like nurses are so highly in demand. You can make your own schedule. You can work anywhere in the country. (laughs) You've been already successful. I like, I understand that you're not happy for whatever reason. You're not happy where you are but could you consider like just nursing in a different capacity? It seems like you're throwing away. I don't know. Maybe your intention is to do lawyering in some sort of a medical, maybe you have a career, you know, a clear path ahead of you. Yeah. I would just say you better know people who have followed this same path. Like, please tell me that, you know, lawyers who went from nursing into lawyering, or at least, you know, lawyers who, are giving you counsel about like what you're going to get yourself into here, that that you're going to be able to do something useful. Yeah. 
Because if you're just like fantasy, just I'm, I don't like nursing anymore. I want a career change. I'm going to go be a medical lawyer. Oh, boy. I just don't. I hope you're not going to regret this. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Yeah. All right. Hello. Firstly. Firstly. Hmm. Thanks for the podcast. I'm a mom, first-generation law school applicant in my 30s with a master's, and I work full-time. Your podcast has definitely been a go-to resource for me on this journey, and I've learned a ton so far. Cool. You're welcome. I am applying to a four-year Flex JD program, uh, Touro College of New York, okay, which has rolling admissions, which is pretty common. That's universal when i asked about the start of the application cycle they said that it begins in january each year i'm taking the lsat in march and again possibly in april just wondering what you think in terms of applying early for the best possible scholarship amount i debate between applying for next year instead the only way i can go after a jd is by taking advantage of the flex program and getting as high a scholarship as possible. If you have the time to give me your input, I thank you. All right. I don't know when the applications start for a January program. Well, I don't know that that's what they actually said either. Uh, Reading her thing again, they're claiming that the cycle starts in January. Oh, they're saying the application starts in January? Oh, I see what you're saying. That's what it seems to me. And does it say... I thought it said on, oh yeah, okay. So from the 509 under academic calendar, months, students may begin studying law August, January, and May. And they confer degrees Mm -hmm. in January, June, July, and September. So they seem like they have a totally different deal going on. Got it. Right? Their schedule just doesn't seem, it seems like they're, and, and especially because this person is applying for their flex program. So it's, it's clearly not the same schedule as other schools. Oh, so she's wondering if she should apply with the cycle that has started just a month ago or wait and apply in January of next year. Yeah, the answer is we don't know because we just don't know how they do things with this flex program. I mean, I think get your best LSAT score. Right. That's step and one. And then decide. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Get it might be obvious at that point, <clears throat> however long it takes, but I, they do have listed here application deadlines on April 30, July 31 and December 31. Mm-hmm. We could probably infer the start dates for that. You can start in August, January and May. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that the April 30 deadline is to start in May. The July 31 deadline is probably to start in August. (laughs) They're like taking applications up till the very last minute is what it sounds like to me. Yeah. The December 31st deadline is to start in January. So it depends on when you want to start. I just, I can't imagine. I don't think applying before that April 30 deadline and intending to start in May is probably not your best bet. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, with this kind of a program, I don't know. I, let's look at the scholarship information. 
they're giving 78% of their class some sort of grants. They're giving 45% less than half tuition. They're giving 31% half to full tuition. And they're giving 1% full tuition with no more than full tuition scholarships. So this just isn't the kind of school that gives a lot of full rides. They do give about a third of their class half or more. They also give tons of conditional scholarships and they eliminate more than half of them. Ooh. Reduce or eliminate more than half of those conditional scholarships. So this school, yeah, I mean, they don't give that many scholarships and they take away a shit ton of the ones that they do give up. Mm-hmm. So you just got to be, uh, I don't know, you got to have your eyes open yeah. coming to a school like this. And they're charging per semester 25000 If that really is a per semester, <laughs> these yeah. things are so broken. You'll have to ask them what their actual tuition is, but I don't know. Step one, get your best score ever and then apply when, and if it's at the end of the cycle, just wait till the next one. Yeah. And then look really carefully at that offer. I mean, if, if they don't give you the right offer, just say, okay, fine. I'm reapplying for the next, you know, like just tell them good. Thank you for this offer. Can you increase it? If it's not, a good enough offer, you say, I'm not going to law school. Yeah. I, or I'm not going right now. I'll wait. I am a little worried about your situation though. It sounds, you said you have a master's. Uh, I'm curious what you got your master's in. Um, it sounds like you're not necessarily leveraging that. So you may have made a decision to study something that you're not utilizing. I can't believe I just said that word, but you 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 made a decision to get a degree in something that you may not be using. You might be. I mean, you work full-time, and maybe that's full-time work based on your master's. But my concern is, are you now deciding to get a JD, and could you end up in the same problem? Like, you're going to school and not being able to leverage that education profitably uh, if it turns out to not be something you want to do. Uh, I don't know. Master's programs generally are just like kind of a scam. Yeah. You know, that's, it's like, I have two masters, so I can vouch for, you know, the fact that they're a scam. I don't know. I have a master's in journalism. Does it, it doesn't make you a journalist. Like you'd be much better off just getting a job in a newsroom somewhere and like being an actual journalist instead of getting a master's in journalism. It doesn't like impress anybody. True. I, I Although, think about the only thing it's used for is to teach yeah. junior college or something. Yeah, I guess what I'm worried about is if you got a master's in journalism and it doesn't help you, fine. But um, are you now pursuing like journalism? Then clearly you studied something that you were, you made a decision about something that you were interested in, right? I'm worried that she's deciding to go to law school and may not end up being interested in it. So, Oh, well, yeah, but I mean, that's okay too, right? Like you, the way to find happiness in your career is to try a bunch of shit and see what sticks. So if her masters, you know, if it was in whatever and it didn't stick, whatever, fine. She's moving on to the next thing. But yeah, I mean, obviously be very careful about choosing another grad degree. If that's what you're saying, Ben, just yeah, take your time and be sure that, law is actually the right thing for you rather than just like getting another degree for no reason. There are a lot of ways to make money in this world. So if your main goal is to make money, like 
it doesn't necessarily make sense to put down a bunch of money, spend four years of your life, and then start that kind of career. Um, I would, I, let me make that a little stronger statement. Yeah. One of the best ways to make money is to not spend money on a graduate degree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's start with the 100000 plus that you can, quote, make by not going into debt a hundred thousand dollars yeah so you know if if and hey i mean really generally speaking if you're pursuing a jd because you think it's a good financial decision i, <laughs> I think it's not in most cases i don't think it is no, I think what people are hoping for, if that's what, if your goal is to make money and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I just go to law school and then I leave and then I can get a job as an attorney. Well, you're making a couple of assumptions here. One, even if you recognize and you've grappled with the fact that most attorneys or most law students who graduate um, from law school don't go into that top tier, right? They don't end up leaving and making 160000 They leave and they make around sixty or fifty. Let's just say sixty to round this up a little bit. Even if, you, if you're like, okay, I'm going to go get a job that pays $60,000, it's not a shoe-in. So like, I think you're thinking, oh, I put down this money and now I have this degree and that's going to like let me go out and get a job. No, Um you know, you're, you're going to have to do just as much hustling now for any other job. Say, go look, for, just go look for job openings, you know, like in an, in maybe a field that you're not familiar with, but that's exactly the same thing that's happening with the JD. You're going to come out of law school and you're still going to be a newbie. And so I think that people are trading like, you know, present pain. They're like, oh, I'll go through this whole program. I'll put down this money so that I can have like an easier path once I get out. I think the only thing that's easier about it is that you can kind of see how it might come to pass. <laughs> but the reality is, um, I don't think it's any easier than just trying to like start knocking doors and figure out, Hey, who's hiring? What are they hiring for? How can I fit into that company and get started there and then move my way up? You can, you can make a lot of progress in that three or four years. Yeah. You know, you could be making a lot of money, a lot of money, and probably in maybe in the six figures. Person A takes three or four years to work on their career, just getting jobs, getting promoted. Yeah. Without debt. Person B spends three or four years in this weird academic competition, <laughs> devoid from <laughs> like reality of legal practice. Yep. And goes. $150,000 into debt or more or more. Which one are we betting on to be in a better financial position 10 years from now? Yeah. Even the ones who are successful as lawyers are not going to be probably back to break even 10 years from now. I mean, some people are going to make $200,000 right out of law school, aggressively pay down their debt, be making $300,000 after five or six years and be, you know, in a different stratosphere. But that's like yeah. 10% of all applicants are going to be well, like that. Well, the 200 sounds high to me, but you starting know, salary even 180, 180, 160, something like that. So, but those are the exceptions. Yeah, those are that's not the norm. If you're 
That's only for people who want to practice big law, to be really clear. That's only for people who want to practice big law. And even people who do want to practice big law, half of those people end up washing out because Mm -hmm. they can't, they can't handle the hours or the stress or the drama or whatever. Yeah. And, and for the people who are making a more, you know, pedestrian $70,000 a year, $80,000 a year, your undergraduate degree can probably get you a job making 50 or 60. And then if you work your way up. (laughs) Yeah. And instead you're going to spend all this money and all this time to get out and try to make 70 or 80. I mean, then there's a lot of people who make a lot less than that with their JD. Yeah. Just the, the, the cost benefit analysis, right? The return on investment, it just doesn't make sense. So follow our advice. Don't pay for law school and you'll be just fine. I'd, with this to go back to this email about Turo and the flex program specifically, what will you do if you suppose they give you a near full ride? What will you do after your first year? If they take that full ride away from you? Yeah. Because I think you should drop out. If you're committed to that, I think you're going to be fine. Like I wouldn't, I'm not going to lose sleep at night (laughs) if that's your plan. Yeah. I'm going on a full ride or damn near a full ride. And if they take away the full ride, if I'm not, you know, succeeding enough academically to keep my scholarship, then I'm going to drop out because I just can't risk spending all this money on a degree that very likely is not going to give me a return on my investment. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we need to clarify when we say don't pay for law school, we mean until you're finished. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not in your second year either or your third year either. <laughs> I think people look at the, they're like, okay, sweet. I got a full ride. I'm not paying for law school. Wait, you might be. Um, so you're not following the advice. No, you need to take an oath that you're going to, that you're not going to pay for law school at all. And that includes your second or third year. If you're, if you're just, if you're not doing well, like if you can't get the grades required to keep your scholarship, yeah, you're, you're just probably not, it's just probably not the right fit for you. I mean, the proof, Hey, you've taken by the end of your first year, you've taken eight classes now. And if your grades are like less than the middle of the class, lower than the middle of the class and you've lost that scholarship, I don't know. Like they're telling you something that you just might be barking up against the wrong tree. Now, if you truly love it, then that's one thing. But if you're hating it, like I did, and they take away your scholarship, there's just nothing wrong with dropping out. Yeah. Okay. Should we move on? Yeah. Okay. This is Daisy's personal statement, and she has no preamble. She just dives right into it. So, Daisy, thank you for submitting yourself for the meat grinder. We will try to be kind. If we start laughing, it's because life is absurd not because we're insulting you. <laughs> I <That's>, don't know. That, <laughs> yeah, we're just enjoying what you've decided to give us. Here we go. While sitting in my office at work, the receptionist stopped by with the mail for the day. Mm. Bad for a few reasons. You can go One. first. 
Yeah, well, I mean, my first issue is why are we talking about the receptionist and what the receptionist is doing rather than what you're doing? Yeah, you. <laughs> also, it's the most oh, mundane possible thing. Oh my God, mail delivery? Yeah, it's a bad topic. It's a bad subject. It's and also by a bad the way, yeah. uh, I think you're trying to say while I was sitting at my in right. my office at work, but actually this is a dangling modifier, which means it's modifying the receptionist. So it technically means while the receptionist was sitting in your office at work, the reception also magically stopped by with mail. Yeah, That's which cool. your reader <laughs> sorts that out for you and understands yeah. what you meant. But you don't want the reader to have to sort that out. You're going to bump. The reader's going to just read that and go, oh, so that's a broken sentence. It's your first sentence of your personal statement, and it's not a good sentence. Yeah. Um, so this actually fails topic or like subject, topic, and grammar. Other than that. <laughs> it's got words. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're cutting that first sentence. Sorry. Bye. To my surprise, there was mail from the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, USCIS, regarding a long-time pending case. Okay. I immediately opened it to find a, quote, request for more evidence notice. They were requesting the criminal records of my client, ZP. It's an abbreviation. Keep it anonymous. ZP. USCIS provided 60 days to respond, comma, if not, comma, they would deny my client's case. That's a broken sentence. What is that? A comma splice? Provided. It needs to yeah, be a period a new, after a respond. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's right? like a run on. Yep. USCS provided 60 days to respond, period. If we did not, they would deny my client's case. <laughs> if not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In the past, I had received numerous RFEs with shorter deadlines. So I was certain we would win this case and secure legal residency for ZP. As the lead case manager and legal assistant of our firm's crime victims, sexual assault, and human trafficking department, I consulted with the lead attorney to determine our plan of action. I think that of is bad. Shouldn't that be for? As the lead case manager and legal assistant of our firm's crime victims i don't know that's just a weird well it's weird it's also like a very long uh department title so it's like you kind of get lost <laughs> like i would just choose one why is it crime victims sexual assault and human trafficking department isn't this like citizenship stuff i'm confused i also don't like consulting like i don't want to hear about you consulting with uh attorneys I just want you making decisions and doing them. Like you might have consulted, and then what did you decide to do after that consultation, I guess is my preference. I don't like these like acronyms either, RFEs. I understand you just said it, but I would just say requests. I received numerous requests with shorter deadlines. Yeah. 
I'm worried about the theme of this um, being surprised by this request. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to be surprised by shit. I want you to, I want you to anticipate things and win. And so this, it seems like this passive, like, Oh, what we're getting this request for information about the criminal records of my client. Who knew that they would ever want that information? Yeah. I'm worried that you're setting yourself up to look naive here. Like you should have known that this was going to happen. You should have been prepared for this. We want you to be active, not passive. So like this is already, you're just reacting to this mail that came into your office. It's like you were just chilling and then, Oh, here's a thing to do. Mail came. I don't know. Okay. Next paragraph. By the way, we have, uh, we have just the paragraphs are blocks with no indents. We're going to indent those paragraphs, aren't we? Yeah, I would prefer that. And I would make also, them shorter. Yeah, I was just going to say these paragraphs are real long. There's it's a total of 4 paragraphs and I think it could be 8 easily. Okay, second paragraph. The following day, I met with ZP, that's the client, to explain the RFE, that's a request for evidence, and additional costs that would ensue. ZP shared that she was struggling financially and could not pay the legal fees. This was ZP's last chance for legal relief, so I pleaded to the attorney to continue the, the case pro bono, to which she agreed. I don't like the to which she agreed there. <laughs> yeah. That could have just been, I pleaded to, I pleaded with, by the way, I pleaded with the attorney to continue the case pro bono, period. She agreed, period. That would be fine. Yeah. You know, this is interesting. Um, I, I'd be careful, like, overselling this because yeah. I'm assuming that you're actually getting paid. So this is kind of like, look at me, I'm a hero. I asked my attorney to do this pro bono and the attorney agreed, look at what I'm doing for this client while you continue on to get paid. It's almost like you're not really the one doing the the heroic thing here. It can kind of kind of seems a little strange. I, I don't know. I'm not opposed to it. I just don't know that I would sell it like I pleaded to the attorney. I would just say, given ZP's financial situation, I asked the attorney whether we could pursue this pro bono. Yeah, you're not working pro bono. That's a that's a good point. It's like, ultimately, the, the attorney or the firm is the one that's actually doing the generous thing here. Yeah. Like it's not just free. They're also paying you to work on it. Right. And you're obviously your heart's in the right place that, you know, you're not doing this in order to make money for yourself. Yeah. But you are getting paid one way or the other. And this attorney is probably not, or, you know, if they're a partner, they're not. Yeah. They're agreeing to take on work that they're not getting paid for. So yeah. Um, Anyway, I immediately began my research into ZP's criminal record. ZP didn't have any information regarding her criminal record. 
So I searched through various county records until I found her conviction. You know, earlier we've got a numerous, yeah, and now we have the a same various. Thing. It's like it's you're just, overselling. Those yeah. words don't, they don't do anything. You could just say I searched through county records. Where was the numerous? I'm sure that that word could have just been dropped off. Well, it also kind of sends a red flag, like you're trying too hard yeah. to make it seem like you're doing so much work, and then you have the it's the exact opposite reaction. It's like, okay. Yeah. Earlier it said, I had received numerous RFEs with shorter deadlines. It could have just said, I had received RFEs with shorter deadlines. Yeah. You don't need to, yeah, it's, it's overselling um, with that adjective. Okay, so you searched through county records. You found her conviction. I requested her records from the clerk's office, which capitalized, which I don't think it should be, unless it's like the proper name of a certain clerk's office, and located her probation officer's information to request a letter that corroborated her compliance with the sentencing terms. That's a, that sentence. I mean, what's going on there, Ben? She had to get the probation officer's contact information <laughs> so that she could then request a letter to corroborate that the client had complied yep. with the sentencing terms. But you're trying to do way too much in that one sentence. That's just not a good sentence. Yeah. Okay. Shorter sentences. Everybody needs to write shorter sentences. Yep. Following these requests, I set up appointments with ZP's employer, church pastor, counselor, family, and friends to collect affidavits attesting to her good moral character. Some were Spanish speakers, so I translated their affidavits to English. Great. Once, Short sentence telling us what you're doing. I like this yeah. stuff. Oh, all this stuff. Like, I did this, I did that, I did this other thing. That's all great. And yeah, yeah I mean, you know, instead of telling me that you're fluent in Spanish you just show me you <laughs> translating documents or translating interviews. Yeah, that's badass. Right? Yeah, this yeah. is really good. Like, you could definitely see someone saying, like, <laughs> I don't know, I'm fluent in Spanish. and Yeah, I am instead of I did. Yep. Right? And so this is just like, yeah, you're, you're now showing me instead of telling me, and I'm like, okay, yeah, this is a fluent Spanish speaker. Great. Yep. It's just so much better when you show me you using it, especially in a legal context, instead of you like bragging about your abilities. Okay. So that's good. We got some good stuff here. Once I had all the necessary documents, my supervising attorney allowed me to draft an argument as to why ZP merited an approval despite her criminal conviction. The attorney reviewed and signed off on the packet. We could probably tweak that a little bit, huh, Ben? I'm, I'm guessing you're going to say it's too sort of passive, like the attorney is allowing you to do this thing. Hmm. Instead of just talking about what you did. Yeah. I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it, it almost actually kind of sends a signal like you're nervous about what you did. Like, look, look, I got approved and I did it. We, we don't need it. You can just say, hey, this is what I did. You can say we'll you wrote assume. it. Yeah. And that the attorney signed off on it. Okay. Now here's where we get, I think this it's, it's, we're getting back into trouble here at the beginning of the third paragraph. Okay. I was surprised again. I don't want you to be surprised. I was surprised. It's also just a mental state, right? I, I'm not necessarily interested. You're telling in me how you felt. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was surprised when six months later we received a notice of intent to deny from USCIS for ZP's case, stating that ZP was inadmissible to obtain the visa because she had not completed the terms of her sentence since she was still on probation. Is that sense being used temporarily or as no, another because? that means because. Yeah, that's I don't like two becauses in one sentence. Also, just FYI, instead of saying ZP, just come up with a name and put it in quotes the first time you use it. Like or how about my client? Sarah or my client. Yeah, I mean, if you want to use a name, I'm okay with it. But I think if you put it in quotes the first time you use it, it's obvious that it's a fake name. Yeah. <clears throat> so here you're now like, you're, you're losing, right? Or at least you're back on your heels here. Mm-hmm. You, you wrote this, you know, like think about what a skeptical reader is going to think. You fought to take this case. Now you're losing this. You, like you wrote the draft yourself and now you're losing mm-hmm. and you're surprised that you're losing. And the more cynical reader is like, yeah, what do you expect? I don't know. It's just, it's like, well, yeah, you took a bad case and, uh, you tried to do it yourself and now you're losing. I don't know. It's not, it's just not what I want. we got to get to the, like the winning part, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unbeknownst to them. So that's unbeknownst to USCIS, which is actually it technically, but it, yeah. Yeah. ZP had recently completed her probation and all the conditions of her sentence, which I'm like, well, why didn't you put that in your brief? Yeah, this is not sounding good. This is making it sound like you caused this problem. Yeah, you just told us that you were allowed to draft the argument. If you made the argument, then we want it to win. We don't want it to be like, I drafted the argument, and then, surprise, six months later, we're losing now. Oops. Forgot to include some information. Right. Unbeknownst to them, it's your job to make sure that they know. <laughs> That's literally your job as, a, as, a, as an attorney. You're supposed to be advocating for your client. So you should have anticipated this. You should say, hey, ZP will finish her all the requirements of her probation by April, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you should be pointing back to the document that they already have. And you should be like, as I said on the cover letter <laughs> and in page one... <laughs> The probation is is going to be completed, and it has been completed by the date that I told you it would be completed. Yep. Anyways, instead of that, again, I requested records from the clerk's office and her probation officer and submitted a response to the RFE. This is the part I really hate. Now, I was certain ZP's case would be approved. Mm, However, sounding Scott. Yeah, anyway, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) However, four months later, I received a final denial notice for ZP's case. Oh, shit. So in one sentence, you're certain you're winning. And in the next sentence, you're getting a final denial notice. I get that you're trying to like present a story. Yeah. You're wanting to take the reader on a journey. But it, 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 I don't know, you're just coming off like a well-meaning, I don't know, like, it's just, it's like naive, well-meaning, but naive. Well, okay, so Daisy, you've 
taken our advice and given us facts as to things that are happening. That's good. But I would I would probably skip over these facts. These are the kind of facts where I'd say after getting denied, um, we decided to appeal. And we wouldn't know why they were denied. That happens all the time. And then you could start focusing on what you did again to fix the problem. The part I especially hate is the I was certain ZP's case would be approved. Yeah, that That's, just shows, yeah, you're not like nervous enough. Attorneys are trying, nervous as fuck. <laughs> if you were trying to sell me on the idea that you don't know what you're getting yourself into, that would be the perfect type of thing to put in there. Because it just makes it look like you, you're like a, a well-meaning do-gooder who thinks that this administrative uh, officer is going to make decisions that are aligned with your sense of justice. And yeah. the truth is that these people who are making these decisions are basically cops and you need to expect them to be trying to deny your clients. Yeah. You know, you're not, you're not doing a good enough job advocating for your client. If you're expecting to win, you should be expecting every single possible way that you can lose. Yeah. And addressing those in advance so that you're not surprised, but like you were surprised to get this letter in the first place. Now you're surprised that you're, you're, uh, whatever it was that you drafted, you're surprised that your uh, argument got denied. Then you went and got like passively because they told you, Hey, you need to show to us that the client fulfilled the probation terms. So now you go passively. Oh, okay. Let me get you that information. And you send it back to them. And then now they, now you're surprised again that they deny you. I don't know. Anyway, this left our office with no other option but to file an appeal with USCIS within the given 33 days. So passive again, right? ZP, agonized by the news, proclaimed not having the willpower to continue fighting for her case. How would you rewrite that, Ben? <laughs> I don't know. Hold on. Um, if you were going to keep news. the idea... Yeah. The, the uh, proclaimed not having the willpower is a real weird verb tense. Proclaimed to not have the willpower to continue fighting? She claimed. She <laughs> sighed. Yeah, claimed that I she did not, not have the willpower. willpower. <laughs> claimed that she did not, not have the willpower. Not that weird proclaimed not having the willpower. I don't know. That's just a strange construction. Okay, so the client's agonized. Oh, I just don't even want to fight anymore. I, however, was committed to her justice. Oh, this is just like too much. Like, I am Superwoman. And, <laughs> couldn't, da, 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 da. Stop. <laughs> and couldn't stop fighting for her. <sighs> okay, the word justice, you don't put it in your personal statement. No. How many times do we say that? A million times. <laughs> And, you know, this is like, hold on, your, it's your client's choice. I don't know. Yeah. So your client doesn't want to keep going, but you're going to keep going anyway. I'm committed. You're so committed to her justice and you can't stop fighting for her. So I know what's best for you. You're, you're going to just stay do in this it country <laughs> without her participation. I don't understand. Anyway. 
I was committed to her justice and couldn't stop fighting for her. By the way, her justice committed to her justice. <laughs> no, you want you wanted justice for her, but also you were just committed don't put to justice. Justice. Yeah, yeah don't put yeah. any of that. <laughs> if there was even the slightest chance of winning her case, we had to try. I consoled ZP and promised we would continue to advocate for her. Wait, hold up. So let's go back to the slightest chance. That too is is naive, right? This is this is not good. People make these decisions all the time. They say, what's my chances of winning? And they decide on the potential costs involved and they decide to not move forward or move forward. Even in a pro bono case, you're not... Yeah, is this going to be another one year of torture and uncertainty about where your life is going? Yeah. For a 1% chance of success? Maybe it's not worth it. Uh, You could very reasonably decide not to continue fighting this. I mean, I don't know the specifics, obviously, but... Yeah, despite the, quote, injustice that would accrue. <laughs> right. I mean, the bigger injustice is someone stealing your time and your anxiety over something that you may be willing to go back home for. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I have no idea. But I'm just saying, like, this is does not come across as, like, seasoned and balanced. Nope. After consulting with the attorney, I began my research. So this is the second time in the same personal statement that you have consulted with the attorney and begun your research. I searched for case law with similar convictions that were granted favorably to the respondent. I found three different cases brought to the Board of Immigration Appeals that established the precedent needed to argue ZP's case I drafted a brief outlining the elements in ZP's criminal conviction and prepared an argument stating she merited a favorable exercise of discretion. The attorney finalized the brief and signed off on the appeal response. Five months later, we received an approval for ZP's case. So there's the win. There's the win. I would make the losing a lot shorter. Me too. And not explain it. Just uh, This is where it's better to actually skip the facts, leave that part of the story out and just say, hey, this is the work I did. Uh, Unfortunately, ZP's application was denied, but I thought there was a decent chance of success. So I continued and we, this is the research that I did and we won. Yeah. To the cynical reader, it, it makes it look like you're responsible for the yeah, loss in the first it place. It looks like you, you're, yeah, because you're the one who wrote the draft, and now the, the, yeah. the real cynic goes, "Oh, none of this would have happened if you would have done a better job in the first place." Because it sounds like at the beginning of the statement, you're like sitting on your hands in your office waiting for the mail to come in, you know, and surprised that you have to do any of this. And it's like, well, wait a second, you couldn't you have anticipated all of this? Stuff? I mean, and I'm probably a thousand percent wrong, right? I don't mean that that's actually the story. What I mean is you can give that impression so for someone who doesn't know anything about the story. That's one interpretation is like, Oh, so you fucked up the first time and then you fucked up again the second time. And then finally you won on appeal. That's scary. Why did we have to get to that stage? Yeah. Right. I, and I do not mean Daisy that that's what I think actually happened. I just mean that it's possible that someone could interpret that interpret this this way. Yeah. They're not necessarily on your team when they're reading this. They've got a stack of applications and they're skeptical of all the bullshit that people are trying to tell them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Last paragraph. ZP's case is just one example of the 150 cases that I manage every day. 
comma, all survivors of violent crime, sexual assault, or human trafficking. Overselling. You don't manage 150 cases every day. That doesn't make any sense. You have 150 cases in your system or whatever. Yeah. But you're definitely not managing all 150 of them every single day. I also don't like this sentence because the cases are not survivors of violent crime, sexual assault, or human trafficking. Yes, the clients. The humans are. The clients are. So that's a weird construction to say. You're implying that the cases themselves are survivors of violent crime. Uh, Often, oh boy, often I receive numerous RFEs. (laughs) Everybody, just don't use the word numerous. I really can't see a need for it. Ever, ever, ever. No, numerous does not or need to be a thing. Yeah. You know what numerous means? I mean, what if this was LSAT logical reasoning? What does numerous at least, mean? At least one. <laughs> yeah, it means some. And yep. some means at least one. So you receive, yeah, all it means is literally a number. But we don't know what that number is. So, you know, if it's a dozen, you could say a dozen. But it's probably not a dozen. Anyway. Often I receive numerous RFEs with time-sensitive deadlines that I must respond to while still maintaining my normal caseload. I hate that sentiment because it's just like, it, it's, we understand that you work in a law office. Yeah. It's like, oh, look at this extra work I'm doing. No, that's your job. Right. <laughs> that's, you work in a law office. We assume you're busy. We assume you have time-sensitive deadlines, so you're not telling us anything new here. It is my job to help our clients navigate through the treacherous tides of our outdated and backlogged immigration legal system, but I can only do so much now. Becoming a lawyer will allow me to represent and advocate for this population in a way I cannot entirely do at this time. Already known. Yeah, I hate this this theme. I would say it pops up in 25% of all personal statements. Yeah. Where people say the blindingly obvious, I can't actually practice law right now. The law schools are probably rolling. I mean, it might be higher than 25%. This is a pretty common. Yeah, maybe it's half of all personal statements. I, and I've ranted about this on the show before, I intend to go to law school so that I can get a JD to deepen my legal skills and my ability to represent clients. Good. (laughs) Which is a thing that applies to literally every law school applicant by definition. So don't, you just don't, yeah, we know that it's, I don't know. There's also a weird, isn't it's just kind of cringy in the, you know, in a way that I cannot do entirely at this time. (laughs) <laughs> As if it's it's sort of like I should be. I'm though. almost there. <laughs> I'm already like I kind of am a lawyer, but I can't entirely be a lawyer because there's the small problem where I haven't gone to law school or taken the bar. 
Well, I actually I bet that's a pretty. I do feel like that's a common sentiment among paralegals. Yeah, like, these guys are getting paid. Oh, I hear that all the way time. Way more than I am. You've heard that I'm a million times from your yeah. your students, right? Like, well, I actually yeah. do all the work. All they do is sign off on it. Yeah. We get that, but you just don't need to put that in your personal statement. Yeah. I also, I'm not sure. I just, I don't know about the shitting on our immigration legal system. The treacherous tides of our outdated and backlogged immigration legal system. Hmm, no. Do we need to hear about that? Nope. I don't think so. It's all just like telling anyways. What do you mean? It has nothing to do with you. We had one case. You're saying that that case indicates a familiarity with the, the systemic problems. <laughs> Here's a broken sentence. The difficulties the immigrate, the immigrant community face has mm. been my motivation for law school since I was a child. Oh my God. Really? <laughs> well, if you yourself are, you know, daughter of immigrants, uh, I'm willing to buy that you've been familiar with the difficulties of the immigrant immigrant community forever. You do have a subject verb disagreement there though, because you've got difficulties plural as your subject and, mm -hmm. um, has been, uh, singular as the verb. So that at the least needs to be have been, but this also runs into that problem of law school since I was a child. You want to talk about that, Ben? Um, it just it invokes the image of a of a child who's trying, who wants to be a lawyer. I guess I don't know. I don't even know what. Like, it's not. I want to know. You did a good job of talking about something current. Um, you yourself now making this decision to go to law school is a lot more persuasive than yeah you as a child. So well, even you, if this is true, it just, it's not necessary. Just drop it. You work in immigration law. Yeah. You are an immigration paralegal. I don't care where that came from. I care that you are actually doing it now. That's so much more powerful. Yeah. A hundred people can say, Oh, when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to be an immigration attorney. Yeah. But then I got older and realized I didn't know what the fucking immigration attorney does. Well, even children of immigrants, Right. Like, you know, but unless they act on that and you have acted on that. So there's no reason to like <laughs> right. go back to this. No. So stick with your story. Yes. You got into it for reasons. We all know you, everyone has reasons. What's like, but you've actually done something so we can infer that you had a reason and that's why you're doing something. Great. I don't care about the reason. I care about what you've done about it. Yeah. Just use the space for more of that. As the daughter of immigrants who experienced the traumatizing side of the immigration system, I know wholeheartedly how challenging it is to find adequate legal representation. But don't you know that much more because of the 150 cases that you manage? Yeah. Like, I don't see why your own parent situation has anything to do with it. That's why you got into this field. But now you're in the field. Maybe this is a diversity statement topic or something. Sure. Um, 
Put that yeah. in your diversity statement by all means. If you want to talk about how you're first generation, your daughter of immigrants, all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. In a diversity statement, but in your personal statement, I mean, cause listen, Ben, who knows more about it? The child of immigrants or the whitest, most privileged person in the world who has been an immigration paralegal for three years. Yeah. You're going to get much more. <laughs> I mean, there is a personal side of it that you may never experience, but you're going to see so many different cases and get a more holistic picture as an, as a paralegal, the which person, is what you've been doing. The paralegal knows what lawyers actually do. The paralegal yeah. has had their hands on these documents. The paralegal has had letters from USCIS and RFEs and all these fucking like applications and appeals and all that shit. Like the, the paralegal, no matter how white they are, they know much more than any immigrant who experienced it firsthand in their own one singular case, not from the perspective of a lawyer. Yeah. So you, you're missing an opportunity here to just emphasize your experience as a paralegal. Yeah. Move all this stuff about your childhood and your family, move all that stuff to a diversity statement. Okay. Uh, last sentence, my last three and a half years working in the field has served to reaffirm my vocation and provide the final push I needed to seek the next step in my legal career. Hmm. I don't know that I would talk about that either. I like, it makes it sound like you were unsure. I would just present, um, this is what I've been doing and now I'm going to go to law school. <laughs> like we don't need to know that you were unsure about this decision. Less about what you think, less about what you feel, Less about like your why your why and the motivations and all this shit. Less about that. More about what you did. And in the last paragraph, you can certainly talk about what you want to do next. But y you need to demonstrate. And you've got, I mean, God, there must be so much you could be talking about in your day to day. Yeah. Maybe put another case in here. Because I think we got to shorten ZP's case. Yeah and focus on the winning and less on the part where you might've caused the problem in the first place, or at least yeah. make it seem like that. So more about like winning these cases and then, yeah, if you want to in the last paragraph, say I intend to become an immigration attorney so that I can work with these population, whatever, talk about a little bit how naturally this is the next step. Mm -hmm. um, you need to show that, not tell that by the way, make it look like this is naturally the next step. Don't, say this is naturally the next step <laughs> <laughs> naturally yeah don't you don't need to put that editorialization but like if that's the conclusion you want to leave them with that like this is a natural next step your childhood doesn't actually make me believe that yeah the work you've done as a paralegal is what makes me believe that not the worst personal statement we've ever read man no 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 not the worst by any means there's a lot of potential here yep. um just need to clean it up and focus more on winning. Yeah. Lots of bad sentences there, Daisy. Definitely need to clean up the, uh, the grammar. Um, run it through Grammarly. Print it out and read it out loud. Get more help from, from the, the best writers you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, but if someone reads this and they say, yep, looks great. That's not, that's not helpful. 
<laughs> they if they they need to they need to send this back with like 20 different edits on it that's how you know you're getting like actual help uh any last words for daisy no good luck uh sounds like you know what you're getting into and that's exciting yeah oh obviously dp knows what she's getting into i mean and thank you for all of your good work and like we really do appreciate that you're going out of your way to you know advocate for these people who clearly need help and you know like they can't don't have any way of paying for this representation and you're fighting hard to get them the representation and actually i mean hey changing their life by you know keeping them in the country if they want to stay here and so like we really do appreciate all of that um thank you for that good work want to wrap it up yeah you can join the thinking else that podcast group on facebook i think we got 1700 something like that members talking about the show on facebook if you want to drop in over there um we are at thinking lsat on instagram and twitter i'm at in fox on twitter that's like the one social media that i actually kind of half-ass use so if you want to find me on social media i'm at in fox on twitter ben you using anything these days not really actually i mean i'm on instagram um but i don't not i don't even go on that often maybe once a week i mean it's really not i think you're at innovator ben on instagram that is correct okay you can visit strategyprep.com if you want to learn about uh ben's classes and private tutoring in dc you can go to foxelsat.com if you want to learn about my classes in los angeles and san francisco lsatdemon.com is our joint online project uh it is everything you need for lsat prep if you like our style the demon is the only way to get us uh it's so much a better alternative if you're in you know kansas city missouri and the best choice you have for lsat prep in kansas city is like a horrible kaplan class Mm-hmm. you definitely should trust us and just subscribe to the demon instead. I mean, we yeah. promise you'll be better off in our hands than in Kaplan's hands. So please check out the free trial of the LSAT demon. It is a complete LSAT preparation tool. It has lessons. It has proctored practice tests, timed sections, timed tests. Every LSAT question <laughs> All of Ben's videos, all my videos, shit tons of written explanations. What else? Um, I was just doing the the data the other day, actually. I, I um, check on how many explanations we have in the demon yeah. uh, every week. Um, and we add about 100 a week between all of us. Yeah, and there's only 7,000 total questions well, Wait, there's already 7,000, 9,000 total questions. Yeah. To be explained. So, we're we're over 50%, right? Oh, for sure. Let me look actually really quick how many explanations we have in there. Quick number here. So, there's actually 14,959 explanations. <laughs> oh, because um, we've got more than one per question in lots of Yeah, some lots of the of games have multiple videos. Yeah. Um by design, but uh, in any case, yeah, there's a lot of information in there. So, and that's not including the lessons. But anyways, 
Uh, yeah, not including the lessons. Um, I'm keeping up with the uh, ask button requests. Um, I have in my inbox right now. I can count them. These all came in last night, or I was down to zero yesterday. I I have in my inbox right now six requests for logical reasoning explanations. So those are six brand new explanations that are going to go out to the user. I'll email out each of these users, and we'll also put the new written explanation right into the daemon. So thank you for everybody who's hitting the ask button. It's keeping me motivated to work. But uh, yeah, we're going to explain every single LSAT question ever to the best of our ability. And if there's currently something in the daemon that doesn't have the explanation, just hit the ask button and we'll get it right back to you. Yeah. You can listen to the podcast everywhere. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, thinkinglsat.com. Um, just hit uh, hit the subscribe button wherever you are. And again, do please leave us a review on iTunes if you get a chance. That was episode 231 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.